Hi, welcome to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. Thought I've asked Deji, and I would have, of course, Abby is still stuck in Nigeria. Bless, pray for her, because the only flight she could get back is on Christmas Day. And so she's going to have to fight that thing, but she is coming back Christmas Day. Tina, sadly, you know, our wonderful Mrs. Jagetti, Tina's feeling a bit under the weather, so she wasn't come, able to come today. So she said she shared a few of her thoughts. I simply asked the, uh, David as well to just share a touch about what Christmas, you know, you know, what their thought on Christmas. That's just that simple. I hope you know that I could give you a classic Christmas message if I needed to. I just didn't feel like doing it uh, this time. I just couldn't feel there. But I do have something I want to share. Our mandate yesterday was incredible. I mean, Deji, I'm telling you, man, the stuff that this guy's got <sighs> makes me want to go sell cars. <laughs> um, man, he has got some stuff that I love. But um, I want to approach something very differently for a moment this morning, just in a little time that I'm going to take. I was going to have them come first, but then I thought, nah, I'll rebuke that and I'll do it first. <laughs> but... um. The Lord kept telling me, kept speaking to me. I shared a touch about it yesterday in mandate, but I'm praying about Christmas. And the Lord keeps telling me in Galatians 4, 4 through 7, you know, and you don't have to turn there, but it's just, it's where it says in the fullness of time. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son made of a woman. And he came to the world. I think, well, actually, let me just read it. I printed it out. It says, ben, but when the fullness, this is King James, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And I just couldn't get away from fullness of time. And I know from years ago, I did a little word study there and. uh the word, full, when it says the fullness of time, it speaks to the critical, I just want you to think on this a bit if you'll have ears to hear this morning. The critical niche of time. Jesus came exactly when he was supposed to come. I, can you receive that? It was the critical moment in the history of earth for him to come in God's timing. I don't, I can't fully explain it, but I trust him. And, but what I'm trying to get at is the precision of God. Many, many years ago, I forget, I don't even remember the guy's name, but somebody talked about the precision of God, and it stayed with me about how precise, how utterly precise God is. And I pray that you'll be encouraged by the little bit I'll share. He is precise. I mean, I could go to so many places in Scripture, we know that when Israel went into bondage to Egypt, you know, 400 years to the day, they came out 400 years to the day. Precision. Um, little things, like even when you read the Christmas story, you know, there's the prophecies that came when Jesus was born. There were three prophecies, one from John the Baptist's father, then from Anna in the temple, and then from Simeon. And um, the three prophecies that spoke of what Jesus came to do was to bring joy, redemption, and peace. Those are the three major things. Joy, like Denise spoke, shared about that this morning when we started. 
joy, redemption, and peace. But it, Anna, Anna was Anna was interesting because Anna, when she comes in and begins to look and see, and this is the this is the Lamb of God that's going to bring redemption. Um, there's a couple things. One of the things that hit me is you know she had been. Uh, she was married seven years from her virginity, and her husband died. Long story short, when you figure out the numbers, Anna was 105 years old. Most people don't realize that. She was an older lady. Let me tell you, you can still be old and be used by God. And, she's, uh, and it says, but it says that she came in at that instant. Joseph, Joseph and Mary have the baby Jesus in the temple. And it says, again, I just little things. You know, you read, learn to read little things in Scripture. And it says, and Anna at that, what it says in the Amplified, or excuse me, in the King James, the Greek, at that instant, Anna walked in. In other words, again, the precise time when Joseph was there with Mary and with the baby Jesus, at that instant she came in, right on time, and prophesied at 105 years over this Jesus who was going to bring redemption. Then a few minutes later, it says, Simeon, being led by the Spirit of God. The Spirit brings him into the temple exactly at the moment when Joseph and Mary there with the baby Jesus. And he begins to prophesy about, again, the peace that he would bring. And then he prophesies to Mary and talks to her about he's come for the fall of the, you know, for the lifting and the falling of the nation. And then he turns to her and says, yes, he looks her in the eye and says, and yeah, a sword's going to pierce your heart too. But the point is precision. Uh, Anna comes at, in an instant, and that instant that she was supposed to be there, she was there. Simeon, whatever his other duties were, he comes, the Spirit of God says, go now. And it just keeps speaking to me about how precise he is. And in the fullness of time, the critical niche of time, like I said, I could take you through all kinds of places, but I just got a couple of verses. Acts 17, 26 says, and he made from one common origin, one source, one blood, all nations of men to settle on the face of their, have, listen to this phrase, having definitely determined their allotted periods of time. Having definitely determined the exact moment when this nation would speak, when this nation would speak, and so on, and even the parts of their, their life. Acts 1.7, he said to them, it is not for you to become acquainted with and know what time brings. The things and events of time. Now think about that. We're not to worry about time. It is not for you to become acquainted with and to know what time brings. The things and events of time in their definite periods or fixed years and seasons. Their critical niche in time, which the Father has appointed and fixed and reserved by his own choice and authority and personal power. And I, I just felt like what the Spirit of God wanted, well, I'm just about there. God knows when Jesus is coming. <laughs> He's the only one that knows. God has predetermined. You study that? God has predetermined. 
I said, he is predetermined when this thing is going to fold up. And all we know is that we're one day closer. You hear me? We are one day closer. And, but we're closer than we've ever been. And the things, again, when you do begin to look out that window and you see what's going on in the world, see, you actually need to be encouraged. You really do. And this is the, one of the things I wanted to speak to you. Because of his precision, because, again, God brought Jesus at the fullness of time, this is what I'd like to submit to you for consideration. I, I believe it's true. You can disagree. That's okay, because when you get to heaven, God will tell you Rod was right. That's all right. You can wait till later. But I don't know if you can hear this or not. You came to earth at the right time. I want you to catch that. You weren't supposed to be here at any other time. Now, you've got to think on that for a season. There's no excuses about wanting to live in the past or the future. This is the time that God has allotted for you to be here. And by his incredible grace, somewhere along the line, you made the right decision to believe in Christ didn't you? I mean, otherwise I don't think you'd be here this morning. And from that moment, the predetermined plan of God for your life went into motion. Predetermined plan for you. You stepped into the plan that had already been planned. Uh, Deji yesterday, he talked about the plan and he said, God's got a plan. He's got a plan. He just kept going on. He was anointed. He kept going on. He's got a plan. There's a plan. There's a plan. Right, Andrew? There's a plan. I mean, there's a plan. There's a plan. God has a plan. Not going to deviate from it. There's a plan. There's a plan for you that he will never deviate from. That's why he so longingly wants us to finally just say yes. <laughs> I want your plan for my life. Everything else is a bit of a detour, a bit of a distraction. But you actually need to voice that. You really do. I'm alive today because today's when I was supposed to be alive. Sure, the devil tried to kill me. The devil tried to kill all of us in some way. I was pronounced dead twice, actually, but... I don't know if you know it or not, but I'm not dead. You know, it may look like it sometimes, but I'm not dead. I was pronounced dead, categorically pronounced dead in, in a Memorial Hospital in Bakersfield, California, dead, except for this one surgeon that wouldn't give up on me. That's because God had his hand on him. Um, and I'm alive today, and, you know, I just trust God that my life has produced some kind of fruit somewhere, and I'm not saying that to get anybody to pat me on the back or anything. I'm just saying I somehow, by the grace of God alone, stepped into his plan for my life. Boy, I've taken detour after detour after detour, but you know what? He's got me gripped. He's gripped me. He's gripped me, and I'm never going to allow that to, you know, I'm never going to step out. I just can't, won't. You know, I'm not attracted to sin. I don't have a problem with sin. That's going to sound horrible to some of you think I'm a heretic, but I said goodbye to sin a long time ago. It just doesn't attract me anymore. And I don't know if it's because I'm coming close to the ancient days or what. I don't know. 
But I just don't, I mean, I have enjoyed, quote unquote, learning to live unto righteousness. I've learned that there's great fruit, the fruits of right standing, the fruit of it. I've learned that I have to yield to it so that it can grow. I need to learn to nurture it and irrigate it and what have you so that that fruit can develop so that I could become a better man for him. But I, again, I'm not going to take too much longer, but I just want you to, I, I don't know, there's something in the spirit that God wants to say to you about the fact that you were born precisely when you were supposed to be born. You have precisely the gifts and talents that God has given you. Some of you have not yet even discovered what's on the inside of you. That's because God hath hidden things. I, I quoted this yesterday in Romans 4. It says, um, all things are hidden only as a means to revelation. I love that verse. God has hidden all manner of things, but they're only hidden as a means to revelation. Because when something is revealed and you discover it, it carries a greater sense of worth to you. And so that's why, like Julie and I's pastors, our great prayer all the time is that, you know, you actually discover, actually discover what's on the inside of you, much less who's on the inside of you. And you learn to yield to it. Precision. God had predetermined the times before appointed, says in the King James. He hath predetermined the times before appointed. God is working according to a time frame. Hallelujah. And as the world grows weirder and weirder, all I can think of is we're closer and closer. People have said that kind of thing, I know, for the last couple of centuries, probably. But this is unparalleled, the stuff that in our day and age. But please be encouraged. You're here at the right time. Because, and this is what else the Lord told me. He said, "Why did when my son was born into the earth, what did he come with? What did he come to do? Well, he came to redeem. He came to lose joy. He came to lose peace. But he came to redeem, to buy back what was already his. Already his. But also, he came to carry the kingdom of God into this earth. He came to carry the kingdom of God. But this is what I want to leave you with. Every single one of you are kingdom carriers right now. And you need to speak that to yourself when you walk into Tesco. You really do. It sounds so silly, but that's what I do. Although now my wife has me almost categorically going into Waitrose. She said, I'm not a Tesco girl. She said, I'm a waitress girl. I said, okay, babe, whatever you say. I don't care as long as there's food on the table. That's okay, mama, I don't care. But uh, it made me laugh. What do you mean you're a waitress girl? But uh, do you know, it changes how you live your day when you start out thinking, I'm a kingdom carrier. I'm carrying the kingdom. Kingdom of God's within me. I'm carrying the kingdom. Every single one of you here today was born in the fullness of time as it were like Jesus to carry the kingdom. To carry the kingdom. Please hear that. Amen. I'm going to shut up. That's me done.
Everybody say, praise God, he's done. I love your obedience. Um, David, why don't you go ahead and come on up. I'll exit the, the area. David will share whatever's on his heart about Christmas. Like I said, I know mine wasn't quote-unquote Christmassy, but that's what I had in my heart. And then uh, after him, Mr. Jet, I think he got upset with me last night because, or on Wednesday, because I said, I just suddenly had a revelation. I said, did you realize that Jagetti rhymes with spaghetti? And that's all I can say about that. Um, morning, church. How are we doing? We we okay? That's good. Um, so when Pastor emailed on Monday, um, the Lord basically told me to write it down as opposed to freestyle. <laughs> um, and then I got this the the idea that as the worship pastor, I do want to make it as intentional and obvious as possible about this marriage between the music and the message. Hence, I've asked for a minstrel <laughs> to just play in the background. Um, so I'm going to read what I wrote. Um, there was one phrase that came to me uh, quite strongly, and that's just simple, the chase. When I think about Christmas, I think about the chase. Now, some of you may know that as a game show on TV, um, but it's more than that. It is. It is more than that. So every Christmas is an opportunity for us to be reminded of the greatest pursuit that history has ever witnessed. It serves as a reminder that the great creator possessed a great, wonderful and intense love that wasn't satisfied until the U-shaped hole was filled. You have to imagine and, and realize that his love surveyed the expanse of heaven, perusing all the divine creations in their unique assembly and realized that it still wouldn't be fulfilled. His love looked into the deep annals of time and realized unless it found one who could replicate out of choice and not coercion, it would remain disappointed and disillusioned. And so love spoke, saying, let us make. Now the image was a mirror reflection of the creator. And initially both walked hand in hand. They walked hand in hand until deception set in. This very same deception drove a wedge between the lovers. They could not coexist in a space where self was proclaiming itself to be king. And so the image let its eyes leave the gaze of its divine lover, away from the perfect reflection, instead becoming fixated with its own shadow. This shadow was a dark and perverse incarnation of selfish ambition and wickedness. And this new fixation took on a life of its own. Not the eternal life promised by the divine, but a life that would always carry with it the final penance of an inescapable death. Again, the gaze of the image was gripped 
by its own perverse shadow. And while it pained him, the gaze of the divine never wavered. He forever watched on from a distance placed upon him by a respectful choice and not his own desire. Over time, the distance grew further and further and so did the pain. Now every so often, the image would find itself in a place too dark to find comfort and would cry out for help. And as ever, the creator stood on hand to intervene with a burst of divine light, run into the aid of his lover with a gracious recklessness that displayed once again the height, the depth and the breadth of his love. So time and time again, the image and the creator would be reunited, but the moment would prove to be brief. Once safe, the image would then turn away to its own ambition again, seduced by the quick winds that were on offer. And so the chase was on. The creator would not allow himself to ignore his burning desire to be one again with the image. And say that again. The chase was on. The creator would not allow himself to ignore his burning desire to be one again with the image. And so on that beautiful ancient Israeli night, just outside a little town called Bethlehem, the final lap of the chase was entered. Now up to this point, the image had been chased via the message of the prophets, the miracles of the elders, the deliverance of the judges, but nothing like what took place that night. You have to understand that the one who knew no tears in heaven cried like a baby. The one who knew no discomfort needed to be sheltered from the cold. The one who lacks for nothing desired the milk of a mother's breast. Finally, the creator was amongst the created and the chase was complete. Right there. I can't even see what I wrote. That was the moment my life changed. Right there. The fact that he would leave. The glory of heaven to come and find me in the dirt can't ignore such passionate pursuit tell me please tell me who else would get in the mud with the prodigal who else would leave the masses to find the one that's gone astray who else would do such a thing who else would display such love no one have you ever seen such a display of love no Neither have I. Neither have I. And I won't ever see it as pure as it was on display that night. It's funny because we sing of a silent night. 
But that night itself was the loudest proclamation of a father's love that history has ever recorded. So that was the moment where your life changed. Right there. The fact that he would leave the glory of heaven to come and find you in the dirt. You can't ignore such passionate pursuit. Tell me who else would get in the mud with you, the prodigal? Who else would leave the masses to find you, the one who had been led astray? Who else would do such a thing? Have you ever seen such a display of love? No. Again, that night was the loudest proclamation of a father's love that history has ever recorded. So this is Christmas. The moment that the chase was complete. Amen. That's great. That's beautiful. That's why David writes, hallelujah. Uh, it reminds me, actually, you know, just before I asked Deji to come up. Uh, thank you, Nate. Um, but, you know, Hosea, you know, this is the picture of God. Hosea tells, I mean, God tells Hosea to go marry a prostitute. And it says, take her as your wife in Hebrew, I mean, in Hosea 1. He has three children by her. And then she leaves him. And uh, it's a picture, of course, it's a prophetic picture of Israel and Israel's unfaithfulness to the things of God. But God says, marry her. <laughs> Hosea, marry her. Then in the third chapter, he says to Hosea, he says, now go buy her again. In other words, at this time, instead of saying take her, he says love her. And if you can capture that, it's this perfect picture of how God will never, just like he said, stop chasing you. It's a picture that was to be seen for all of Israel to understand that God is such a loving God that no matter how many failures we have, how far back we've gone from his righteousness and his holiness, he will continue to seek us. And this time to love us. Anyhow, so I think that's beautiful. Praise God. Deji, why don't you come on up? I, I know that Nate's gonna, not going to play, but if you want, I can send back here and sing a little bit while you, while you speak. If you need to come. Say what? Well, here, I'll give it to you. Do what you will. You don't want me to sing? You can sing if you like. No, I don't want to sing. <laughs> they don't, believe me, they don't want me to sing. Oh, you have such a beautiful voice as well. All right. Okay. Um, one of the things that Lord in mandate impressed upon my heart yesterday was about how few words are sometimes necessary. Um, and in the context of talking about Christmas, I was going to say, oh, this is what I feel about Christmas and this is what's in my heart about it. Um, but I asked the Lord, 
I said, okay, what's your view on Christmas, Lord? And he spoke. <laughs> um, and it was, it, was, it was a different perspective. I wasn't quite expecting it in what he said. But I'm just going to give it to you straight. Um, his perspective and what he wants of us. And I want you to imagine. It needs some imagination, I believe, because the picture that he was painting to me, it's difficult to actually see it because it's in heaven. Okay? Um, yeah. Wonderful tears, Dave. Wonderful tears. So, what did you say, Lord? A few things. What does the Lord want from us for Christmas? He said, I want you to truly recognize what it meant in order for Jesus to come. Okay? What it meant. What it meant for my son to come. First, before I go into it, I'm going to give one little scripture, which is John 17, 4 to 5, where Jesus basically says, I've done what you asked. It says this, I have glorified you down here on the earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. All right? So this was a job of work. Not easy. And now, Father, glorify me along with yourself and restore me. Restore. So he left something behind. To such majesty and honor in your presence as I had with you before the world existed. So, in order for the Lord to send Jesus, they had to have a little discussion about what it meant. Okay? That's why it talks of a man given a task or is going to do something, he needs to first look at the cost of what it is first. So Jesus, between him and the Lord, the Father, they would have examined the cost of this work. Okay? And I believe Jesus volunteered. He volunteered and said, I'll go. I'll do this. Okay? Um, but the Lord said, I want you to recognize what it meant for him to step down and take on earthly garments. All right? Because he had to, he didn't remove his divinity, but he had to take on earthly garments. He had to come in the flesh. And that was a big deal in heaven because heaven was looking on earth and they saw every single man, every single seed of, Ab of um, Adam fail. Fail because of the condition of the flesh, the temptations, and the overwhelming attack of the world, the fallen world. Right? Every man failed. Everyone that walked in the flesh failed. Okay? And this was the work. Jesus had to take on the flesh, but not fail. Not even one time. Not even one time. And if he had, it would have. The whole idea, the redemptive plan would have collapsed. So he had to examine the work, what it was going to be, and then decide, am I going to do this? 
Okay. Now, Philippians 2, 6 to 11 says this. Who, although being essentially one with God and in the form of God, possessing the fullness of the attributes which make God God, did not think this equality with God was a thing to be eagerly grasped or retained. So he said, right, I'm not going to hold on to my position in heaven. I'm going to go and deal with the lost sheep. I'm going to go and be a shepherd. And I'm going to go and I'm going to be the Lamb of God. Verse 7, but stripped himself. So God did not force Jesus to do this. Jesus had to strip himself, okay, of all privileges and rightful dignity so as to assume the guise of a servant slave. In that he became like men and was born a human being. And after he had appeared in human form, he abased and humbled himself still further and carried his obedience to the extreme of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, because he stooped so low, God has highly exalted him and has freely bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that in and at the name of Jesus, every knee should, must bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue, frankly and openly, confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here we see Jesus putting on the flesh, coming from a majestic position, born through the womb of a woman, from the throne of grace of heaven to some smelly little manger in some little part of wherever, okay, no, nowhere really, okay, in a very poor environment. One minute in the throne room, majestic, glory. Next minute, covered with blood, in all the mess of birth, needing to be weaned, had to submit to the authority and instruction of earthly parents and the law. No man had lived by that law properly, without failing. He had to do that. And the Lord said, this is what it meant when he stepped down. This is what he had to do. It wasn't one hour's work. It was 33 years and however many days. Every single day, not in thought, not in action, he could not sin. Even as he was growing from a little baby to an adolescent teenager to a man, he could not sin. He could not entertain sinful thought because it would have failed. This was what he had to go through. What must it have been like in heaven without Jesus? They had never known a time 
when he was not there. He was always there. Nothing was made outside of Jesus. He was always there. Then all of a sudden, he wasn't. And they were watching to see, is he going to be able to do this? God said this. What did it mean to him to know when it was time to go and leave his place in heaven? What did it mean? God would have said, son, it's now time. It's now time for you to do what we had agreed. All heaven would have been there and Jesus would have taken off whatever he took off, he would have walked away from and gone down and lowered himself, stepped down. And I thought about this and I thought of that, the, the, the picture and I thought, Lord, what is really behind why you're asking this? And what he said was, I want you to understand this because it is a demonstration of how much love that I have for you. Galatians 4, 4 to 5 says this, but when the proper time had fully come, I know you mentioned it earlier, God sent his son, born of a woman, born subject to the regulations of the law. So there was a time, just like Pastor Rod was saying, there was a time that had been agreed between the father and the son, this is, this is going to be the time you're going to go. That time came, and I can imagine Jesus looking back at the father and never experienced a time not being in his presence, suddenly had to go. And all of heaven would have thought the same thing. In that moment, that had been foretold. It had to be in that moment. He couldn't delay and say, oh, can it be tomorrow? Or can we not delay it till next week? It had to be in that moment. He had to go right there and then, straight. That's the time. Now's the time, son. Perfect obedience all of the time. I want you to realize how much it cost to send him. Matthew 13, 44 to 46 says this. The kingdom of heaven is like something precious buried in a field, which a man found and hid again. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who is a dealer in search of fine and precious pearls. Who are the pearls? Where are the pearls? Who, on finding a single pearl of great price, went and sold all he had and bought it. God said, I staked everything on this. I staked all I had. All he had was Jesus. My only heir, the only begotten of God, I staked everything on this. And that's what I want you to remember. The redemptive price that God paid in Jesus. And then he finally said this. I want the world to realize this. I want the world to realize the intense and unlimited love that I have for mankind. And the hope of heaven, that all would see it and realize and come to know their saviour and my son. Their saviour and my son. 
For God so loved and dearly prized the world that he, gave, that he even gave up his only begotten, unique son, so that whoever believes in, trusts in, clings to, relies on him, shall not perish, come to destruction, be lost, but have eternal, everlasting life. For God did not send the Son into the world in order to judge, to reject, to condemn, to pass sentence on the world, but that the world might find salvation and be made safe and sound through him. So in this, Jesus did the job. He perfectly did the job at all times. Even in Gethsemane, when he thought, is there any way that this cup can pass from me, but your will be done. He still did it. He went through. He did it in every single way. This lamb, the one without blemish or spot, was not found wanting. That sacrifice was not found wanting in any way. And we are to appreciate that in Christ, we have everything that we need. We have a perfect sacrifice. We have the perfect payment for our sin. Yeah. All of our sin, not just ours, but the whole of the world. Yeah. Everything. everything. Now onto Revelations. Revelations 5. And this is where I want that song to be played once, once I've, I've, I've read the scripture. Because this picture of who is worthy, who is worthy to open the scroll, okay? And the scroll um, contains the judgments of God on the unbelievers. And in, in order for that to be opened, it needs somebody that has been perfect before the eyes of God. And it says it in, in Revelations 5, 2 to 10. And I saw a strong angel announcing in a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll? And who is entitled and observes and is morally fit to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, in the realm of the dead, Hades, was able to open the scroll or to take a single look at its contents. And I wept audibly and bitterly because no one was found fit to open the scroll or, or to inspect it. Then one of the elders of the heavenly Sanhedrin said to me, Stop weeping. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root source of David, has won, has overcome and conquered. He can open the scroll and break its seven seals. And there between the throne and the four living creatures, beings, and among the elders of the heavenly Sanhedrin, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, the sevenfold Holy Spirit, whom have been sent on duty far and wide into all the earth. He then went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders of the heavenly Sanhedrin prostrated themselves before the lamb. Each was holding a harp, lute or guitar, and they had golden bowls full of incense, fragrant spices and gum for burning, 
which are the prayers of God's people, the saints. And now the singing, the sing, they sing a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to break the seals that are on it. For you were slain, sacrificed with your blood. You purchased men unto God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom, royal race and priests to our God. And they shall reign as kings over the earth. So God's redemptive song. And I love this song. I'll just let you listen.
So that's really the Christmas message in that every day for the new year, this is Tina now saying this, um, we're to go into that year knowing that everything that we do, remember that Jesus, he paid the price, he did it all, and he's worthy of everything that you do for him. Okay? The way we live, he's worthy. Okay? When we obey, he's worthy. When we bring our offering, he's worthy. Yeah? When we sacrifice, whatever we do for God, he is worthy. He's worthy of it all. And there is really nothing more to say, to be honest. He paid that price. He did it all for us. There's nothing more to do. But indeed, he is worthy to receive all our honor, all the glory, and all the praise for what he did. And heaven is still watching. He's still looking on. He's still looking on at the replication of Jesus. That's us. That's why they're cheering. They've seen it done before. So come on. I think it was praise God forever, really. Um, first, before I go any further, I mean, Cynthia, I just saw that you've got your daughters. Would you got girls stand up? I haven't seen you in so long. Jemima, come on. No, you've got to stand up longer. Stand up a little bit longer. I need to have a look at you for a minute. Oh, my gosh. I'm telling you, Johnson, I'm going to pray that they give gun permits over here. That's all I'm going to say. Got to protect the lovely girls. It's so good to see you guys, sincerely, Cynthia. Really good to see you, sweetie, as always, and you girls, really. As we close, I, one of the things I want to, well, first of all, please, I hope you heard what was said today and in the worship and what have you. And um so grateful for how what Deji shared as well. You know, it's just again that's I, I as a as a minister of the gospel, I find myself amused is not the right word when I hear people argue about well, we know that Jesus wasn't really born, his birthday really wasn't December twenty fifth, sometime in March. You know, it's not who cares? You know, why do you have a tree? Don't you know that's Teutonic log worship and you know, it's just like people, will, they'll, they want to fight over anything, man, to try to make something religious. And when you hear people say things like that and live in that realm of philosophy, you know that they've, uh, it's going to sound horrible, they've not met Jesus. Not really. So maybe the final thing I want to say is, you know, David, what David shared, and, and he, yes, his tears. And I sat there and I thought to myself, you know, I... Boy, Father, help me with this, because I really do have to be careful. Uh, I know this from my life. If you've never cried before him, you've never yet had an encounter with him. Um, because if you, if you keep at it long enough, you cannot but help have a time with him when suddenly it, your heart just breaks. You just... You can't put words to it. Uh, you just can't help it. You start to weep. Because the res- just the realization, and I, it's not even a mental realization at all. It's just something happens in the side where, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, you just, 
you just it hits you so deep. And so one of the things I'm gonna I don't I'm not gonna have people lift their hands, but I pray for every one of you that you have the gift of tears. I really do. I pray that if that's something that you may not have experienced yet, please do yourself a favor, stick with it. Stick with him. Stick with the book. Did you hear me? Stick with the book. Please take the time to sit and talk with him. Learn how to be still. Listen. Because like I always say, he's always talking. But when that, when those times start to come, uh, knowing comes. A spiritual comprehension that cannot be mentally explained comes. And that's what it's all about. So we love you. Please, as we finish this morning, uh, kind of look around to whosoever's here. Let's, I surely don't want anyone to be alone at Christmas. That's part of our church family. I have no way of knowing you know, who may or may not be, but kind of put up your spiritual discernment. And if, that, if there's anyone here that may be in that case, let's reach out to them. You know what I'm trying to say. Julie and I are in Oxford because of some of her family. And, uh, but, the, but just be aware, you know, look around. We don't want anyone alone. But let's remember what it's all about. That's what we were trying to say this morning. We don't, we'll meet again on uh, January 9th, okay? And we'll meet here. So Father, all we know to say is again, thank you. We could go on forever. But I just speak life and Blessing and your joy, your redemption, and your peace to the people of this fellowship. I am so grateful, Father, for the incredible spirit of love that you've placed within them that I've witnessed time and time again. I'm so grateful for the spirit of family that you created here, Father. I'm so grateful, Father, for the incredible depth of riches there are within these people, this as it were, a small group of people, but the strength and the intensity of your gifting and your grace here, Father, is something phenomenal to me. So I speak blessing to all of our people. Uh, not to be dramatic, but lift your hands. Just lift your hands to heaven for a moment and do close your eyes. And, and um, can I just say I receive the Christmas blessing? Just... Say that and let the Spirit of God minister to you. Father, I thank you. They receive the true Christ blessing of what this season is. And Father, would you help us again? I always use the word moral courage, but just have the courage to be Christ-like with whomsoever we find ourselves with over this holiday period. That we might somehow share the kindness. That's another thing we talked about yesterday. Just the revolutionary the revolutionary aspect of what kindness does to people when they don't expect it. Thank you, Father. Jesus, 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 we do adore you. We do adore you, and we appreciate, and we honor, honor, honor you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you that you did all of this. Thank you. Thank you that you loved us to that level. In the holy name of the Lord Jesus, we give you praise. We give you all the honor and all the glory because it indeed is all due to you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Forever Thanksgiving will be upon my lips. Thank you.
Thank you, Father, that you came at the right time, and so did every one of these people. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday 